Welcome. Thank you very much indeed. Welcome. Thank you, thank you. Um, it is uh, an extraordinary thing. 26th of October, 1979, Armadeus, world premiere, written for this stage. One of those productions, Peter Hall directing, Simon Callow, uh, Paul Schofield, one of those classic shows. And now here we are, your first time directing on the Olivier stage. Scary? Taking on one of those classic plays that had meant so much here, or was it one of those jobs when the phone call came, you thought, always wanted to do it, lead me to it? Um, scary, definitely. Um, especially because mainly before this point, I had worked in uh, predominantly new writing. So new plays don't come with a production history, and new plays, you have the writer with you, and you are debating and changing and trying to make sure that you can give the story its moment. So yes, it, I, was, you know, I was very aware of it. I actually became more aware of it the, once you're on the job, because every person you meet tells you they saw it originally and tells, <laughs> you, it's the, tells you it's their favorite film. And, um, and so that sort of, you know, those ghosts get bigger and bigger as you get closer. Um, and I think the realization that our press night was the very same day as first preview was 37 yes. years ago was one of those moments. Almost as if it was planned. It was, yeah. yes, exactly that. Um, but it was... Uh, it was a... Was it a play that you loved? Was it a play that you'd always thought, I'd love to have a, a go at it? Well, Peter Schaffer was the... Uh, his Equus was the first play I, I ever directed at university. Right. <laughs> um, and it's a, you know, he has such bold theatricality in his plays. So as a first-time director at university, you sort of open it and it says, take one revolving stage, take six horses' heads, <laughs> and, and then you have total theatre. So that was sort of hugely exciting. Um, but actually, in terms of it coming about here, uh, I had been in sort of conversation with, with, with Ben, um, and they'd, uh, they were talking about a couple of very delicate small plays. And, um, and I'd, I'd heard on the grapevine um, that the rights to Amadeus might be coming up. So I gently slid that idea back across the table to them. Um, have, and and the, the, the sort of the impetus was that I'd just done a production called Carmen Disruption by Simon Stevens at the Almeida. And that was a modern reworking of Bizet's Carmen, uh, refracted through uh, five modern lives. And I had had the opportunity to have a couple of cellists perform on stage and a mezzo-soprano singing some of Carmen, and we had reworked it. And, and it had been a hugely exciting and creative time for me to suddenly have music in the rehearsal room, which is incredibly addictive, because any play, you can just orchestrate the emotional journey of a play with, you know, so easily when you have music. And so I'd had this sort of mini experience of doing that and have been very hungry to see if there's a vehicle so for is, it. So does that mean that you had already in your mind that if you were the director of Amadeus, you had a particular different way of doing it that had not been done before? Did you think that was important? Because you mentioned the music and of course it's common knowledge that there is an orchestra on the stage. So we're not spoiling it for anyone. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's sort of, it shocks me that Amadeus hasn't been done yeah. in that way um, because the music is the thing that Salieri is so insanely jealous of. So being able to create it um, live in front of the audience seems to me the most essential heart of the drama. Um, and so I, I, I had sort of gone to Ben and said, well, I'd love to do something with more music. Ben is Ben Power, who's the deputy artistic director. Um, and, I, and I had wanted to, uh, yeah, so I had had this idea that Amadeus with music and, and, his, and his reaction was, well, we have this relationship with the South Bank Symphonia mm -hmm. after every good boy deserves favors. Um, and so as soon as that became a, a tangible idea, we were sort of off and we did some workshops with the South Bank Symphonia to see 
what they could achieve because it, was, it felt very important to me that we didn't end up with um, musicians at the back or in a pit somewhere or not part of the action. That uh, I had this idea that, well, I mean, Salieri conjures the ghost of the future and he's obsessed with the idea of posterity and who we will be listening to in the future. Um, and so there was, um, yeah, it felt like having that music, having a modern day orchestra felt very important because that was that time and the, you know, the prevalent, uh, the, you know, this legacy of music felt like that could be our way in. And there is a, a wonderful thing that you've done with that, which is the sense of the, s the strength of the Vien Viennese court, the 18th century court. But the orchestra looks like the orchestra we would see today. So there is that collision of time as well, that sort of legacy through. Did you always have that as an idea, or did you originally think maybe the orchestra would be in Wigs and Tails as well? Uh, I didn't always know the orchestra would be modern. That was part of the design process. I mean, a bit of that came from, um, uh, I guess, looking at the Rococo period and... Um, and the fashion, and it's pretty intense, the fashion of the period. And <laughs> um, it takes some- There's a lot of gold coats backstage, <laughs> ladies you know, and gentlemen. You know, the frockage and the wiggage yeah, is yeah. sort of a cream cake on top of yeah. a, you know, it just, it's <laughs> so much. Um, and I think it's very easy, it's very hard to wear that stuff, and it's very easy for a production to tip over into what, to my eye and my taste, feels like a sort of, um, can feel very uh, either like a theme park or it can feel uh, like a, a museum piece actually. Mm -hmm. And so I was very nervous about. I mean, if you you know, I was doing a lot of googling about you know Mozart Vienna, and there are all kinds of, to my eyes, horrendous-looking orchestras dressed up in bad wigs of the period who sort of mm -hmm. meet on a Sunday in Vienna to play the stuff. And I sort of absolutely knew I didn't want it to be that. Mm. Um, but they are um, a apart from the fact that they are fluid, so they're not a fixed orchestra in quite the same way. They often seem to me to be almost like a Greek chorus, that they interact, and th so they are the ghosts of the future as well as being present, aren't they? Absolutely. Um, I mean, the South Bank Sinfonia have been amazing. Yeah. I'd heard sort of stories about um, orchestras and how an orchestra might be and what you can expect of an orchestra. Um, you know, um, and their willingness to throw themselves into the choreography of the piece, to, to learn the dots for whole swathes of the section, because that's just not something that's in no, the classical no. experience. It's not what they're expected to do. And yet what they completely grasped was that the more they learned, the more I could use them in the production. Mm. Um, and there was just a wonderful moment uh, we had in about week three in one of the pieces um, that we do. And one of the bassoonists had said, so if we're not playing in this section, is there any choreography you want us to do? And that felt like just <laughs> the most exciting moment. We were like, yes, you should do, you know, and so, and, and so they, do, they can become a chorus. I mean, the analogy I have is that I think the orchestra is like a flash car that Mozart can drive effortlessly and Salieri grinds the gears of, yeah. but is trying to control. Yeah. And it be, can be something that they, that, you know, ownership of this orchestra is, is the fight of the play. It's so exhilarating uh, to watch. I mean, anyone who's seen it, I think, will feel that. It's so exciting. Um, Presumably, though, you had to be careful that the music, when it's being played live, didn't take over the narrative and kind of 
smother it a bit. Absolutely. I mean, I, th I went um, just before I started rehearsals, I, I snuck into the National Theatre bookshop and had a little look at Sir Peter Hall's diaries. <laughs> just, you know, you, are you saying you didn't buy them? I just sat read them quietly <laughs> oh. in the corner. Um, and, and he had said, oh, you've got to be careful not to let uh, his statement, I can't remember which date it was, but you can't let too much Mozart into the play because it will just upstage it. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, I just booked a 20 piece orchestra for this gig. So we'll see how that works. Um, but, and, and he talks about um, the way their solution was to make it sound far off and in the distance. And from asking around various people in the building who worked on the original production, something called reverb had just been discovered. So <laughs> this, you know, this staple of sound design that we use in all shows was incredibly new technology. And that was, that was, their, that was their way into the music. But um, the police is such a full piece and has such a musicality that yes, absolutely, we were making moments and you know, when you've got that kind of talent in the room, you just want to use it more and more and more. Yeah. So you keep adding these bits and adding these bits and you know, I get a quiet little notice from upstairs saying, just check your running time, Michael, because <laughs> you've, you've taken a play and then added 20 minutes of music to it. And so actually there was, a, there, was a, there was totally that sort of moment of trying to work out if we have that, what don't we need? Because so much of the script is about them them describing rather than showing and so there was an evolution of deciding actually we don't need those two lines because we're showing you this um, and because and we can see see him at work and in terms of uh not your concept because that rather diminishes the incredible thing that you've created on this stage but you you had the idea of the live music and you knew how you were going to do your Amadeus but then that moment of who is my Salieri who is my Mozart? Now, how did you come to that sort of casting decision? Did you have an idea of Lucien Masmati in the first place, or did you just think you were going to play around with who might fill those very big boots? Well, the thing that Rufus was very clear about when we were discussing this was you know, the, 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 the production has had such an illustrious history and been done in such a certain way before that he was, it was always a challenge about why are we doing it now and what are you going to bring to it that's new and fresh? And um, Lucien is one of uh, Rufus's favourite actors and I'd be a, a big fan of his work. So, you know, his name came very quickly to the, to the fore. Um, and it just, you know, if you want a man on a stage taking on God, Lucien is your man. And it's, that's, <laughs> that's, you know, and I'd yeah. seen, you know, his brilliant work in, way back in The Overwhelming or even very recently at The Tricycle in Wolf in Snakes in Shoes. I, I knew Lucien had that power and that command as well as being you know, the nicest man in the world, which when you're taking on a stage, th a, a stage this size, you want you know, a company leader like him. So it, it was a decision, that, uh, or an idea that we came to very quickly and we um, put Lucien on tape for Peter and sent the tape over. Did Peter Schaffer have... Um Casting approval, then I know he. He, he does, it, yes. Of course, it, sadly, he died in June before he could see your production. But you were in touch with him, and yes, I'd I'd, um, I'd flown over to New York to meet him in about the February, um, and had a chance to sort. You know, you, you go in and you can't not see the Oscar on the shelf. Like, <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Hello, Sir Peter, and and uh, but he, he was you know very delicate at that stage. But it was just it the, the most important thing was to see how how much this piece meant to him, actually. Um, you know, you're in a beautiful New York apartment on Riverside Drive going, that's the Hudson River. And, and that's when it starts to become very real. And he'd, he'd got me out a souvenir brochure from when the film was released, which had essays that he'd written for it, and there were historical essays and pictures. And my 
my resounding memory was just as I left him, he had sort of just got lost in it and was just gently reading it. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll see you on the first day of rehearsals. And, you know, but it becomes a just take good care of this was the absolute um, thing to take away from it. He, he's sort of known for having very detailed stage directions and instructions, you know, all of these things. Now, you do an awful lot of new work and usually have a writer in the room, but you presumably didn't have him in the room. So how did that change how you felt about directing, to not have him there to go, what do you think of this? Well, it was... Did you feel lonely? I, I guess you transfer those relationships into your creatives around you. So, you know, designing this show was one of the... Just because of the size of the stage, and I spent hundreds of hours with my designer just staring at the model and there was a whole graveyard of other designs and we'd put things in the box, stare at it for a, a couple of days and rip it out and put something else in the box mm. and get it costed and be like, nope, okay, go again. And you'd gradually sort of find, find the language. And, 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 and as Salieri says, he says, for one performance only, ladies and gentlemen, the death of Mozart or did I do it? So there's a performative language mm. at the centre of the play, and we became obsessed about the idea of um, um, it's it's it's, the, it's opera eating itself basically. Salieri, it's it's you know it's the most operatic of suicide notes, um, and so that became the, um, the our way in actually, and, and we sort of move from structured presentations of the operas through to what I call mega mixes when I'm feeling terribly you know um, crude in front of the orchestra, and we you know and and. And that theatricality um, just gives you a freedom in the space yeah. that you're not worrying about where the door is and you're not because yeah. it's yeah. all in someone's memory anyway. And so you only need as much as he remembers. And in terms of, um, I suppose, what one might call the themes in it, the idea of Salieri, a man arguing with God, making a bargain and then breaking it, the idea of mediocrity versus genius, the idea of legacy. When you're in a rehearsal room, particularly when you have... 40 people in the room. Do those things come through as, now today we're gonna to talk about what legacy means? Or is it something that you kind of just tickle out through the text itself? How do you pull those out with your, with your company? Um, I think you know, the themes of legacy is, is sort of incredibly present in mm. our culture. I mean, it's such an X factor culture we live in where we yeah. have a stab at fame and we go for that. Um, actually, it felt like the movement work I was doing with Imogen was that's when you can really um, dramatise um, on a scale what it is like to be adored or what it is like to be rejected um, because you have 40 bodies and you can really, you can take people's focus and make someone an absolute emperor in the middle of the room mm. or you can just, I mean, literally shift their focus off someone and you can, you can make the light go out on them. And so it felt like there were, we, we just did a lot of work on how to make someone feel like a success and how to make someone feel like a failure and what it is to yeah. then physicalise that. So we did lots of sort of movement exploration outside the text to help mm. dig into those themes. Because, uh, you know, and Andrew Glynn is Mozart, he's very, uh, he's very annoying. So, uh, 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 deliberately so. Absolutely. Um, and so there's a lot of the time where I felt a great deal of sympathy with Salieri. And so I felt my pity shifting backwards and forwards all the way through the play. And was that one of the things that you were asking them to do? Or did you just let them be themselves as Mozart and Salieri? Yeah, I mean, I, essentially I, you know, casting 
um, Mozart was a huge endeavor because how do you cast genius? Mm. Um, and trying to find something that doesn't feel, um, you know, there are huge long thoughts that, that Mozart has that have to be communicated, you know, technically, theatrically. And I saw some brilliant actors who could do it, but you just sort of go, I don't quite believe you're touched in a way that makes me yeah. think that you would have written this music. And then there's sort of other, the other extreme of the spectrum, people who are sort of so fascinated with the interiority of the character that they're almost playing him as autistic. And, and then it becomes a person that doesn't need the world around him. So mm. it was a huge casting process. Um, and I wanted to find someone that I thought was hugely exciting and thrilling and dangerous, and, mm. and then I found that in Adam. So actually, once I had those people, they would just put it out there in the room and we would gradually um, shape it. And, and, you know, it does play very close to the limits of what we accept, but, you know, Mozart alienates everyone in the play. That's what mm. he does, and, you know, and he dies alone because of it. Did you find yourself, your emotions about both of them, the Salieri and the Mozart, as you got further into the play and got you know, closer to press night, did you find your own emotions changing about what you felt about them, about their motivations? Or do you think you knew all along that Salieri was going to be tortured by the fact that he was mediocre and this was the genius, there was that one person that would ruin his world, really? I think, I think as a, a, any artist has, a mo ha, has the person that they look at and go, oh, you just did it so effortlessly. Yeah. You just <laughs> look what you've made and, and you know. And I think you, so I think we can all identify with people that just seem to do it effortlessly and however hard you work, they seem to solve it quickly more, you know, more easily. Um, I think the thing that in Salieri's arc that I identified with is the idea that he thinks, well, God has made me this way. So I have been, I've been made to be a composer um, and you have just made me painfully aware of my, um, my deficiency. And I think that that's when it becomes cruel and Lucian just humanizes that tragedy so brilliantly. I mean, Lucian makes Salieri more sympathetic than I ever imagined he could be. I sort of knew that it could yeah. be a grand, rip-roaring melodrama, but the idea that it could have such a human center to it was totally yeah. his work. And, I, uh, and the idea of the, the legacy, d did you as a, an artist yourself, that sort of terrible conundrum that all artists, whether they're writers, dancers, uh, sculptors, whatever, feel, the idea that if you get it in this life, you don't get it for posterity, and that is at the heart of the play. Did, did you start to think about the sense of legacy in terms of your own work, or did you just always stay in the room with those eyes looking on your, your production? <laughs> I think you can only stay in the room, yeah. because um, you can only kind of look at the story beat by beat by beat and say, am I following this? I think I knew I wanted to make a production that, um, that pushed against, I guess, a lot. I knew. I, I mean, I just. I found you know the fashion so overwhelming to look at to begin with. I just thought, oh, it's going to make everyone's eyes bleed. And so <laughs> we, um, you know, we stripped away, and we're in a you know a, a space that's probably quite different to you know, um, you know the the, the the palace of Chambron where it's set. Mm. Um, and actually, it feel it felt like to me that having modern aspects help you see those people and those costumes and those wigs for what they are, which is part of a facade, which is part of the thing that Mozart was trying to push against. I mean, his, his big speech is, I want to make a piece for real people and I want to make a play about real things. Mm. And so it felt like there's a license, nay, an instruction in the play mm. to try and do the same yeah. and to try and push against 
I guess, the formality of that period to, to release something new and exciting. When you, as a director, sit here on press night, and it's this enormous responsibility and this enormous joy, what is the emotion you feel when you sit, or you did sit here on the 26th of October, and watching your own production. Can you enjoy it? Are you nervous? Are you mouthing the words? What, what, what is it like for you? It's, uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, you're just gripping the people next to you and each beat is a speed bump and you're going, okay, we didn't hit that one, we're over this, we're over that and that's, and, and you're just listening for the focus in the room around you. And, but, but, but you know, it's always a, um, it's a, it's a live piece of theatre, so you're already thinking about, oh, what if that's this? I wonder if I give that thought to that actor. So it's always going to evolve. I don't think you ever watch it objectively. You just occasionally allow yourself to breathe out and go, well, people seem to be watching this and, and hope that that continues beat by beat. And normally, um, I don't necessarily mention reviews on these interview stages, uh, not because they're not great, but it, you know, we, it, it's about your work and what you want to achieve. But I'm afraid to say that within the National Theatre, there's been a sort of joke going around about what the collective noun for so many five-star reviews would be. Um, and we couldn't decide if it should be a constellation, which is obviously one of uh, uh, Mike's previous things, or an embarrassment. Um, but with that sort of critical response, can you allow yourself to feel proud yet, or do you feel relieved? What, what do you feel when you see that sort of response, that your vision is shared and people are going, yeah, we, we know what you meant? I mean, it's just hugely gratifying. I right. think um, often when you are, you know, I've worked with lots of new plays where there's, they're being programmed knowing there's something in them and the rehearsal process will, will um, Hope, help you to hone that and find that. And, but when you're given you know, what is deemed a sort of you know, a copper-bottomed hit and expected to deliver another hit, that, sort <laughs> of, um, that pressure does mount. Um, and so it's hugely gratifying because uh, you know, any piece of work is, I think you know, Rufus has said it, the artist is always going to be most critical of every beat of your work. I could have blocked that better or I haven't done that or how can I help on this moment? So yeah. I'm still in the, this phase, so you know, <laughs> I've made it off, you know, out of my dressing gown today to come back into the world, and you know, I shall watch it again soon, and you know, we'll keep evolving it. Yeah, um, there are several other uh, platform events uh, around Amadeus. Um, they're all listed outside, and they're in the program, but including uh, Daniel Rosenthal, you know, looking into Schaffer's legacy here, and of course, there will be an NT live. Um, I think just to echo the comment made by the lady there, um, it's impossible to know but everything that you have achieved in this production of faith about what it means to create, about what it means to be an opposition, the beauty of the music, the singing, an incredible company. I find it very hard to believe that Peter Schaffer would not be incredibly proud of what you've done for the play written for this stage uh, the first time that it's come back. So ladies and gentlemen, Michael Longhurst. Thank you very much, thank you.